Hey, thanks for joining us again on the Return to Base podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Rugiat. Today we have Seth Eisenberg. He's the founder and CEO of PurposeBuiltFamilies.com and Warriors to Soulmates, which can be found at W2SM.com. Bravo Zulu, this is Victor Lima. We are RTB. This is Return to Base, a Veteran Life podcast. Welcome to Nashville, first of all. Pleasure to be with and you. And welcome to, to the studio, the, the home of veteranlife.com and the Return to Base podcast. How was your flight? It was great. Really wonderful. It's a little colder here in I, Nashville I than say, Miami. We, we brought you up here out of paradise. It's probably really hot already in Miami, right? This time of year. It's perfect. It's perfect. But Nashville's uh, beautiful. Nashville's beautiful, but it's not Miami beautiful. Let's just be clear about that. <laughs> it's, it's not. No. It's not, but it's a beautiful town, and thank yeah. you for bringing me here. I appreciate that. Glad to do it. You said that you um, did some sightseeing. You, you you said you went to Vanderbilt and, and, and grabbed some stuff. What I got to walk the campus. What's the connection there? Just having a few hours after my my flight arrived, but seeing that the students there all look like my twelve year old, <laughs> that you know, we got some, you some prodigies out there. We'll say that again. We got some prodigies out there. Something or they just everybody looks younger these days. They are young. Mm-hmm. They they are, and it makes you realize how quickly life passes. And how lucky we are to still be here doing the work we love, and it makes a difference in the world. That's right. Yes, and uh, I think too many people actually walk through life without that understanding. We all just do, we do, we do, but there's no like, why am I doing this? Which that, is unfortunate. And that really goes to the foundation of so much that we've been talking about. Yeah, which is what are the big dreams we have for life, and. Yeah. You know, what our military families have in common is that they sacrifice so much for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for the, you know, 80, 85, 90% of Americans who will never wear a uniform. Yeah. Um, But what does that mean for their own lives? Hmm. How can they come home or return to base or prepare for the next chapter of their lives where they have a real opportunity to make big dreams come true? Yeah, for sure. Let's get, we'll, we'll get into all that. I, I do want to know a little bit about your background. So this is obviously a, uh, a podcast and, and our website focuses on the veteran community. We normally have veteran guests, but oftentimes we look to talk to military spouses and people who support the veteran community. So how did you get into this? And be clear, you're not, you're not a doctor, you're not a clinical psychologist or a therapist or whatever, but you have a passion for the veteran community that you had said uh, in our talk previously was inspired by your mother. Is that correct? You know, it started, my mom fell in love with a uh, lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. Oh man, when, I'm sorry to hear that. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It would have been better if it was the army, but. Well, when I was, <laughs> the when devil I was in elementary awesome. school, mm-hmm. you know, I remember that time in my life and I remember being so grateful to him because at that time he was the closest thing I knew to a dad oh. and he touched my life in some very meaningful ways. But I also saw sort of 
what happened in their relationship mm. and the struggles he went through in his deployments to Vietnam. And what one of the things that always stood out to me is that he felt a lot safer in Vietnam mm. than he did coming home and facing the challenges of marriage and family. Yeah. That he felt like he had the skills, the tools, the knowledge to navigate whatever he faced in in war. Yes. But he didn't have anything to face the challenges at home. Mm. And so much of my mom's life went on to helping military and veteran families. Uh, her offices were in Falls Church, Virginia. She was a marriage and family therapist. Oh. And what she found is that people were missing skills. And for the military community in particular, who learned skills to be the tip of the sword, you know, to prepare for, you know, operations that required mm. incredible courage and bravery. But they, they didn't have the skills for the mission of their families, for raising their sons and daughters, um, for intimacy. Mm. And it wasn't that anything was broken or defective. It was just that they, how can you expect people to know what they never learned? Yeah. So she started teaching that and she developed a program called PAIRS, which stands for Practical Application of Intimate Relationship Skills. Just a few minutes from the Pentagon uh, in Falls Church, in actually in Alexandria, Virginia. And what we saw, I remember, you know, years later hearing from people who had become generals and admirals, that if it wasn't for the skills they learned, not only wouldn't their families still be together, but they would have never succeeded to the extent they did in their mm. careers. But people don't know what they don't learn. Right. And we do what we know, you know, the same as we put on whatever outfit we have in our closet. But when you teach people how to communicate, which is much more about listening than speaking, mm -hmm. when you teach people skills for dealing with conflict and differences, in ways that strengthen the relationship, which is the only winner is if the relationship wins. When you teach people to understand emotions in themselves and others and the skills to find their own answers, so many miracles become possible. And then you can add lots of other things to it, you know, whether it's uh, medications or groups or all the different, you know, therapies and processes that, that we as a culture and society have developed. But the foundation is the skills with the person you share your life with. Right. Um, and I got into it by seeing those miracles, you know, sitting and as a youngster growing up and hearing people talk about the impact it was having on their lives. In 2008, 2009, uh, the chaplains at the Charlie Norwood VA in Augusta reached out and said that the impacts they were seeing on combat veterans returning from deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, the increases they were seeing in suicides, the exponential uh, epidemic they were seeing a marriage and family breakdown, that they needed a new approach. And they asked me and our foundation to volunteer. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, we don't have a penny of funding, but we need help and went up and did a retreat uh, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday for a group of about 30 uh, combat veterans and their spouses over a Valentine's Day weekend. And, you know, that was 2009. Mm -hmm. Even today, I'm still in touch with people that say that changed their entire life. That people, veterans who were kind of actively contemplating suicide. Oh, wow. Got to a really good place, literally in minutes. 
that marriages that were on the brink of, you know, collapse and families got to a really good place, not where people could just survive together, but where they were really happy together. And that wasn't because me or anyone else came and told people the answers to their questions. It was because we gave people skills, really simple skills to find their own answers. So over the years following, we trained hundreds of VA professionals, uh, primarily chaplains and behavioral health specialists across the country. And today, uh, a veteran can walk into almost any VA and say, how can I and my significant other wife, husband, participate in word to soul me? And if they don't have it available, they should be able to put the veteran in, in touch with someone who can make it available. We've also done ex, you know, extensive work with active duty military, mm. uh, particularly Navy and, and Marine Corps, where Navy chaplains are being trained to teach these skills uh, to, to their sailors and Marines, uh, even during their deployments, so that for those who are in contact with their loved ones or, you know, because they're together or when they return home, right. they have skills for that mission in their life. Oh, that's very interesting. You, you, the idea of it being a skill, I think, is something that we don't expect per se, right? We, we think that these are just behaviors instead of skills. And you mentioned when people go off to combat or in the military, we, we have skills that we've acquired. Um, you know, we have battle drills, for instance. We know what happens if we uh, come across with a, a near ambush or a far ambush or a whatever scenario. We have, we have battle drills. Okay, I'm going to hit the deck. I'm gonna lob grenades, return fire, and, and peel off. Uh, where when people come back, it is an interesting dynamic when people come back and they're expected to drop those skills they've been so switched on about battle drills. I assume that people continue battle drills um, with their relationships. Conflict, wife comes at you with, you've just been home for a couple days or a week. Wife comes at you with, um, maybe some financial thing or some some conflict and people react nearly the same way. Hit the deck, throw some grenades, metaphorically speaking, of course, <laughs> return fire, definitely medical, metaphorical speaking, and then and then peel off. I think you could out, kind of peel those back and, and you can see those battle drills do relate to a lot of the toxic behavior that we do bring home, throw grenades. Oh, well, what about you? What have you been doing? Return fire. Yeah, well, how about how about this? Uh, and then shut off by by peeling off, right? right. And, and that can't be that can't be healthy. And uh, and we've all seen it. We've all seen it. I know plenty of relationships that didn't last um, through the redeployment process. Some who did some who who, who failed later. But um, Let's talk about some of those skills. Um, and w- what do you think are the foundational skills that, that people need to have? You mentioned that it's something pretty simple. What are those foundational skills that you think are important? So it's a triad. Hmm. I like triads. And the triad's important. 
because one of the three pieces without the other mm. is not going to do a whole lot of good. Yep. Um, the triad, the foundation uh, of all of it is communication, which is about how do I make it safe to create an environment where we can confide in each other, where you can be vulnerable. And what makes it safe for someone to be vulnerable is when the other person can respond with empathy. Mm. So the first set of skills really focuses on that. The second set of skills focuses on how do we deal with differences in ways that create greater closeness. So that instead of it being you and me against each other, it's you and me against whatever challenges we face. So that's a whole set of skills that are very easy to learn. And the foundation maybe of everything is about understanding emotions in ourselves and others. There's nothing wrong with us. Mm. We're not broken or defective. What we feel makes perfect sense based on the experiences of our lives, how we interpreted those experiences, the meaning we gave those experiences. The same is true for everybody else that we share our lives with. So being able to understand what we're feeling and having an environment where we can, instead of having that live inside, mm -hmm. where ultimately the energy builds up, emotions have no sense of time. As I was talking about, you know, my mom's history mm -hmm. and, and growing up with a uh, lieutenant colonel, um, I could feel that. Yeah. Even though it's 40 plus years ago, mm. 50 plus years ago, I could still feel it. So the intensity of those feelings builds up. And ultimately, one of the things you see is a lot of people who are just numb, mm. just on autopilot, just finding a way to make it from one day to the next. You know, and there's a lot of industries that are built on sort of helping people live in their own prison, you know, where we don't feel. Um, you see people that leak, you know, become sarcastic or blame or judge or bully. And we weren't born to be that way. That's not, that's not a sign that we're feeling anything good inside when we're treating other people that way. But eventually, the intensity of those feelings either implodes, and that's the devastating, horrific rate of veteran suicides we see. Mm. Because when all those feelings build up and they explode inside, you know, that the first sign is just a general state of sadness. You know, the next state is depression, ultimately it's suicide. Or it explodes. And who do we explode on? The people we're closest to. That's who we explode on. Yeah, sure, we can yell at the person who, you know, pissed us off in, in traffic or took too long in the line. But ultimately, it's the people we would give our lives to protect that we hand that bill to. Because when feelings explode outwardly, you know, that in the beginning, it may just be words. Mm -hmm. like that can be very, very quickly turn to domestic violence. Um, one of the people who was very involved in creating the skills that we teach had gone around the country interviewing murderers in prison. No. And what he found is that most of them had murdered someone they had loved. Yeah. And that it wasn't that it was pre-planned. It wasn't that there was some, you know, it was in a, in a split moment. They had done something so horrific that they could never take back. And he realized that, he, that nobody would be safe if you didn't give everybody skills to have 
that intensity mm -hmm. come out instead of staying inside and come out constructively so that it was safe um, for the people we love. The idea that that those who serve this country, who do so much for our, my life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and so many others, sacrifice their own. The idea that people that they prayed to come home to, mm -hmm. that they then lose each other, that you know, so many children um, whose mothers or fathers served don't get to grow up with those moms and dads, yeah. or don't get to grow up in an environment that they could say, wow, I'd really like that have that be my life when I'm, when I'm an adult, when I fall in love one day. Yeah. Um, so when you created Purpose Built Families, what, what year was that? So the programs, um, pairs started, for example, practical mm -hmm. application. Right. Your, the, when your mother had. Yeah, that developed. started in 1977. Okay. Um, it originally was a course at American University in Washington, and then she started to offer it through her practice that is expanded into the VA significantly, starting in 2009 with the work with Charlie Norwood, mm -hmm. and then 2018, 2019, when VA contracted with us to make this training available throughout the, the VA enterprise so that it could be accessible to every veteran. Purpose-built families integrated a number of different activities, including the work we do every day with veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness mm -hmm. in South Florida. Uh, one of our major programs, separate from Warrior to Soulmate, is our Operation Sacred Trust Initiative, where we work with over a thousand homeless and at-risk veterans each year uh, in Miami-Dade and Broward County. What I, I shared with you earlier, that when you think about the veterans who are experiencing homelessness in this country or the risk of homelessness or those who tragically take their lives or have flags, suicide flags, the most common shared experience of that community is loss of close relationships. Mm -hmm. And that while we do so much to treat the symptoms, you know, repair homelessness, help people who have been suicidal not go through that again. As a society, if we could interrupt it by strengthening veteran families, military families, right. by teaching this other skill set uh, that's not difficult to learn, as I mentioned earlier, I've taught these skills to kids in preschool, mm. kindergartners. Do, do you find that uh, a, a large population of the homeless people in the community that you serve um, has maybe the the nexus of their issues are family-based, like something broke down within their family and then they felt that they were hopeless. Or it's the most common shared experience. When the veterans who reach out to us, what they have in common is, first of all, they've almost all lost close relationships, mm. whether that was with parents or spouses or, or others. Um, that's the most common shared experience. The second thing is they don't have anyone to fall back on. Mm. You know, yeah. good chance they burnt, that if- They burnt some bridges? Yeah, or because of exactly what you were talking about before. Yeah. That they did what they knew. Mm. That they used the skills that had helped them stay alive, helped them survive for another aspect of their life. And those skills didn't make sense in that environment. Those aren't skills to develop intimacy. 
those aren't skills to be a great mother or father. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that there aren't aspects of that training that are invaluable for, or for anybody's life. But when it comes to the mission of intimacy, mm-hmm. when it comes to creating an environment where it's safe to be vulnerable and where we can respond with empathy to others, when it comes to creating a life where instead of turning off our emotions, as you, I think many people in the military, you know, the idea is you're not supposed to feel anything. Mm-hmm. That moment that you pause to feel can, can be deadly for you or somebody else. But when you're a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife, that's an entirely different mission. You got to turn on feelings. You know, you got to be aware of feelings in yourself and others. Yeah, you're right. There, there is a element of apathy in a sense that you almost have to carry with you if you're going to go do horrible things to even arguably horrible people, right? Um, combat. You're, it does you no good sometimes to think, to be empathetic, right? Empath- empathy could be one of those things that people feel could get you killed or on the battlefield. But the battlefield's not back here in your family, in your home, or it shouldn't be. Um, what, what is, uh, when, when you, let me back up. When your mother had started pair, pairs, pairs, did it focus at first on the homeless population or did that, was that just no. a happy no, when accident pairs, or? When pairs started, it was for wealthy people in the suburbs. Because it was a 120-hour course led Uh, by a mental health professional. So typically, it was for people who had 120 hours available Mm -hmm. and who could spend thousands of dollars to participate. So there were members of Congress. There were leaders of various professions. There have been billionaires who are, you know, household names who have participated in various classes over the years. My challenge was how to take the parts that made the greatest impact and make that available broadly so that instead of it just being available to those who could pay thousands of dollars, it could be available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. So Warrior to Soulmate, for example, is nine to 12 hours that can be delivered online. It can be delivered over multiple weeks. It can be delivered in an intensive weekend so that these skills could be available to anyone. And the veteran community has been a particular focus because of how our society has been affected by Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. You know, and originally much that brought us together to serve the post 9-11 generation Mm -hmm. also woke us up to the challenges that we still saw from Vietnam era veterans who were struggling and they came back to very different society than our post 9-11 veterans returned to. Yeah, absolutely. they are still paying the price. I can guarantee you that there are Vietnam era veterans who will be homeless in Nashville tonight and in Miami yeah, and, in, and in Los Angeles um, because the consequences are ongoing. And thank goodness as, a, as communities, as a society, we've done better for our post 9-11 veterans, but we still need to do better and we can do better. And what we're talking about goes to the foundation of that, that if we can help our military and veteran community strengthen their closest relationships, not by having them 
turn to a third party, but teaching them how to turn to the people they're closest to. How do you do this with the person you wake up with? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to make an appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. some couples do. <laughs> some do. You, you, you don't, there's no wait time. You know, it, it doesn't depend on which insurance you're using. But how do you teach those skills so that every person who has sacrificed for this country has the best chance for that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness in their own lives? Do you feel that the veteran communities are different generationally? Um, meaning the veterans of Vietnam, for instance, had their own challenges. Reintegration was one of them. Uh, more or less, the veterans of the global war on terror were welcomed back with at first really open arms, but uh, quickly followed to, I didn't know that you guys were still over there. <laughs> so I don't know what you call that, public apathy or, um, or honestly, public ignorance. But do you feel that those two communities are different? There's shared experiences that are different. Yeah. The experience that Viet- veterans who, who served in Vietnam went through when they returned home mm-hmm. was very different than the post 9-11 generation. Many of the veterans I've worked with over the years were deeply impacted by the experience of returning home. But that was also unique to different veterans. Black veterans experienced that differently than white veterans. Veterans in the South experienced that differently than veterans in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many different factors that influenced how each person experienced, you know, even very similar, uh, similar events in their lives. And part of our work is the idea that everybody's unique. Mm. Yes, we have shared experiences and yes, we speak a common language. And yes, people who have been through, you know, certain training have a lot of similarities, but the dreams, the values that light each of us up, what it means to follow your bliss, you know, what are the, what the big dreams are that you want to bring to life. That's unique to each of us. And help, you know, one of the things we've seen over and over, nobody has a magic wand to change what's already happened. Yeah. There isn't, it's not out there. The question is, what are we going to do with this moment? and with the time we have going forward. I was mentioning to you earlier that one in work I did with 101st Airborne, um, also back around 2009, as many of them were preparing for their third, fourth deployments, mm-hmm. was an exercise called a meditation on death and loss, where they actually have a chance to be guided through conversations with their loved one that I would say that very few people ever have. And so often we're left with, I wish I would have said this, or I would have said that, or I wish we had talked about this. So what we do is very intentionally create the environment for people to have conversations that matter. Um, So that we know that each day is a gift and also nobody ever knows what tomorrow will bring. You know, whether we're, whether someone's deployed or whether someone's crossing a street or whether we're facing a once in a hundred year pandemic, there's no promise of tomorrow, but skills to help people make the most of today for whatever their dreams are with whoever they share their life with, uh, that certainly does make a difference. Interesting. Um, 
So we've talked, I think we've, we've kind of gone through the line of some of the people you're working with are definitely active duty, returning from deployment, still active duty, or even preparing to deploy, right? Correct. There's, have, have you discovered challenges um, with, or have you had experiences with people who's, who maybe haven't even been to combat, right? So there, there's a lot of people in the service now, believe it or not, who haven't seen combat, won't see combat, but will still transition into the civilian world. And this is primarily the audience that we talk to is people who have transitioned into civil war, whether or not they've seen combat or not. But the process of transitioning back into the military is can be traumatic for some folks and can be traumatic for people's relationship as well. And um, what experience have you had with with those individuals who, again, maybe maybe sell combat or, or maybe not, but are are now ending their service and and now expected to be this civilian? So the question is, what's your mission? Right. And what skills do you have to help you succeed in that mission? Mm-hmm. So if your mission is, I want to build a family in Nashville, what are the skills that are going to help me succeed? If the mission is, I want to be an entrepreneur in Miami, what are the skills that are going to help me succeed? But helping people recognize that there's much from their military training that can be helpful for the rest of their lives. But which of those skills are going to help them in whatever their mission is at this chapter in their life? And how do they embrace the skills that make sense for this mission? Mm-hmm. How do they let go of those that don't make sense for this mission? And how can they learn those that they may be missing? You know, and often those are skills to strengthen interpersonal relationships, you know, which are very, very different than the skills to prepare someone for battle. Right. Um, maybe entire, maybe the exact opposite. Hmm. So in the years that we've been doing this work, we've seen everything. There's not a question you could ask me about, have you seen this that we haven't seen? Hmm. But what we see repeatedly is that when people can learn skills to deepen, enhance communication, to deal with problems so that they don't lose each other, to understand their emotions and emotions and others, they can create whatever they want to in life and have a much better chance of succeeding than when they can't do that. And do you do you feel like people are open to these skills, or do you do you find some resistance to to people, you know, being open to being vulnerable, for instance? So that's a big part of why I came to Nashville when you offered the opportunity, because one of the biggest challenges we have as a society is normalizing the experiences that we go through as human beings. What people find very quickly when they attend classes is they realize that there's nothing wrong with them, that the experience they're having isn't that different than the experience the person two two tables over or two seats over is having. But we live in a world where everybody thinks, often thinks that what's happening to them, that somehow we have to keep it secret, Mm -hmm. that we have to put on, you know, a mask, that everything's okay when it's not that everything feels a certain way when it doesn't. And 
a really important part of the work that we're doing and that you're doing is normalizing that it's okay. It makes perfect sense to go through what people are going through, to feel what they're feeling. But there are options available for how we deal with that. Um, and yes, it can take courage. One of the things that, that stands out with working with the military and veteran community is the courage is already there. You don't have to wonder if this is someone who has the ability to be courageous and brave, every single military and veteran uh, that I've ever worked with has enormous capacity to be courageous and brave. But it's bringing that courage to a different aspect of their life. And for some, you know, it's one thing, the courage to sort of be in a tank, mm -hmm. like a turtle. Mm -hmm. You know, with a big, tough shell <laughs> yeah, to no, keep us <laughs> protected from everything. It's a different level of courage to be able to step out of that tank yeah. and to be vulnerable. But that's the courage it takes, and the work you're doing is really important, helping people have that courage. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, and, and obviously, we appreciate the work that you're doing, especially for um, military veterans, but also military spouses and such who who initiates contact with you anybody i you mean <laughs> and generally speaking do you find that it's the service member or the yeah. veteran or is it the service member being drugged along by their concerned spouse or is there even some parental relationships that you you speak of first of all it's, it's all of the above yeah but what's really important is that the military and veteran community know that there's help available that whether someone calls the VA crisis line mm -hmm. or any of the other resources that somebody can find from going on the internet and searching, that people reach out. The idea that, that so many people suffer silently. You know, I think that it's rare that I've met someone from the military or veteran community who hasn't lost someone that they cared deeply about. And I wish we had a magic wand that could change what's already happened, and we don't. Yeah. But what we do have is the ability to embrace our own lives, mm. to live our lives, to embrace our dreams, to be closer to the people we share our lives with, to do the things that we have the opportunity to do because of the sacrifices that so many others have made. And in my mind, when I think about the courage and sacrifice of our military community and the freedoms we have, it's a daily reminder to embrace that, to live that, to value that. And that's very different than sort of suffering silently, you know, day after day, decade after decade. Um, yeah, people can survive that way. But that's a very different experience than really embracing life. Yeah. So who can call, who can reach out? Anybody can reach out, you know, whether it's a soldier, sailor or a Marine or their spouse or family member who can say, you know, tell me more. You know, how can we participate? Um, we have we deliver uh, these skills online. You know, right now, as we're speaking, there's a class just starting with people from around the country, nice. often people from around the world, uh, or somebody can reach out to a local VA medical center and say, what can you do to help strengthen my connection with the people I share my life with? Hmm. You know, typically my husband, wife, 
Yeah. Um, have you dealt with the prevailing military? Maybe it's not so much anymore, but there has there had been a prevailing military attitude of, you know, hey, suck it up, buddy. And I'll say for as far as like PTSD, this war started, the, the global war on terror started with when it started, people didn't understand PTSD. And um, we often looked at people who claimed PTSD as being cowards or maybe they're just crazy or, um, hey, that that's that guy, that's not me. We also looked at people who we, we would judge our experiences against other people and say, why, what what do they have to be uh, affected by? What trauma did they go through? They didn't, they sat on a fob all day. How could they have PTSD, right? Um, but have you ran into some of those attitudes with, with like, hey, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with me or, you know, I'm going to get over this or, um, yeah. you know, something similar. There's, there's got to be that, there's this, this persona that, we project you said a mask there's a mask that we wear and and thankfully i think it's that it's um it's come off a bit over the last decade or so it's become widely more accepted that ptsd is definitely real and then it all many times is a, is accompanied by um by actual physical trauma to the brain things like that. But have you seen that? And, and tell me about some of your experiences yeah, of with that. If you could tell me specifically about like an instance, you'd be general, obviously, <laughs> but uh, about a time where, where you dealt with that. Well, first of all, the greatest generation was also perhaps the most silent generation. Right. You know, Suffered a lot of, you know, one of the first things I'll ask veterans is, do they come from a military family? Mm -hmm. Did they grow up with an example of what that looks like. Because we know that, that many people were raised by particularly dads who had very different rules for what they shared, how they dealt with emotions. Um, we often pass that down generationally. Some people gamble, some people drink, some people turn to all kinds of medications, some people disappear into their careers. There are all kinds of ways that people deal with trauma. And often, whatever we saw our parents do becomes, you know, one of the first options that's available to us. So if we grew up in a home where the, the, the message was, suck it up. Yeah. Big boys don't cry. Yeah. Don't rock the boat. Don't rub it. Don't, you know, <laughs> I've got enough to worry about without your stuff. Yeah. Then what we're going to do is, we're going to stuff it in more and more and more. And that's why we often pass down the legacy of depression, of suicide, of domestic violence, mm -hmm. of alcoholism, of drug abuse, because we learn these things from the choices our parents and the other people around us made. So post today, people, it's become much more people are much more aware of the price they pay for that, of uh, the impact. There's been you know, enormous research since the time of World War II 
uh, in Korea and Vietnam about the impact that dealing with things in those ways has and the multi-generational impact of those decisions. So we're a much more informed society today. And trauma comes from a lot of places. And, you know, maybe one day we'll have a better understanding of what's woven into our DNA and how that shows up. You know, they've just started to, we're at the very beginning of understanding how each of us are wired. We have some understanding of how the events of our life influence how we react to what happens. Mm -hmm. What we're only beginning at the very beginning of starting to look at is how our DNA carries the emotional experiences of previous generations. You know, some of the most fascinating research shows that trauma uh, prior to birth alters our DNA. And I certainly expect that in the years ahead, we'll have a much deeper understanding of why two different people who go through very similar experiences have two completely different reactions. Mm. And what is it, both from their experience of life and perhaps even the way their DNA is formed Mm. that impacted the way they're reacting in the present. But whatever we discover in these laboratories, none of it changes what's already happened. There's no magic wand that's going to come out of all of this research. It's going to say that what happened yesterday or a decade ago didn't happen. At the end of every one of those studies will be the same question. What do we do today? Mm. How are we going to make the most out of the opportunities we have? And the very foundation of that today, yesterday, and I suspect for many tomorrows to come, will be our closest relationships. The people we wake up with. The people that we create our own little islands with in this world of billions that we choose to share our life with and how things go in that island will really impact more than anything else what life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness looks like, what our lives look like, what the dreams are that that we bring to life. You know, for those of us who become parents, what we see (laughs) in our children as they grow up into adults and ultimately our grandchildren. Interesting. A little off topic. uh, What would you have to say to Will Smith today? You know, that's a sign of someone leaking. Yeah. You know, I I talked earlier about when you're holding in intense feelings Mm -hmm. um, that we can either implode or explode. And And often on the wrong people. (laughs) We we hand the bill to whoever's there. Yeah. When somebody's feelings have built up to a moment to a point Mm -hmm. where any anything can set somebody off not because of what happened but because of all the energy that's just waiting and looking you know god protect you if you happen to be across from somebody who's ready to explode yeah so what the world saw with will smith was somebody who was ready to explode yeah and for the listener out there we're filming this uh, on the tuesday after that um it takes a couple obviously some lead time so um so you're saying what the world saw was what the world saw was somebody who was explosive mm. and the moment he had an excuse 
for all that energy to come out, it came out against Chris Rock. He handed Chris Rock the bill mm. through that slap that was heard across the world. <laughs> yeah. Chris Rock um, took it like a champ, though, I'll tell you what. <laughs> for all the intensity. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I was talking to you earlier about one of the skills we teach is called emptying the emotional jug, mm-hmm. which is, <laughs> you know, yeah. I can I can assure you that if Will Smith had emptied his emotional jug, that would not have happened. Yeah. Now he has to deal with these consequences. You know, it's funny. Nobody would have even remembered the joke had he not leaked, right. as you said, right? But there's a message in that for everybody. Yeah. Because often our lives, you look at Will Smith. Right. Who has had extraordinary success. Mm. Hard work. But there's a really good chance that the rest of his life and his legacy for generations will come down to the decision he made in a nanosecond. Yeah. About how he was going to react. Yeah. And despite all his incredible contributions to the world, Mm -hmm. that nanosecond may define him forever. And the same is true for each of us. Mm -hmm. And you want to give yourself the very best chance of acting in a way that fits for whoever you are in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's something each of us gets to decide. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, he's tremendously hard working. He's a good person. I hope he recovers from it. And I hope uh, hope he gets help dealing with whatever he's dealing with. It doesn't help that they keep, keep their personal life all over like YouTube or something. I think they got like some some show where they just lay it all out. But, uh, but it's interesting. It, it, there, there's looked to be some bottled rage. Uh, Keeping in the vein of current events, um, do you, have you worked with people from other countries? I know that we, we get people here who are refugees from Afghanistan, from, from Iraq, and they, they've grown up quite different uh, and in many circumstances, quite difficult either while they're growing up or during their formative years. Uh, and now we can predict that there's going to be an influx eventually of probably Ukrainian citizens who have been through very traumatic things. And, and are, you, are you thinking forward about how you would deal with people from a different culture? Yeah, we've worked. One of the founding chairperson of Pairs was a woman named Virginia Satir, and she was considered to be the mother of family therapy, um, and really created the whole field of humanistic psychology. Yeah, and she spoke often about traveling around the world and doing this work, you know, in dozens of countries, maybe more, and that what she found is that wherever she went, people's hearts were in exactly the same place. Mm. No matter what color their skin, no matter what language they spoke, no matter the culture they grew up in, their hearts were always in exactly the same place. And I have very much seen the same thing. You know, I've worked with people from many different countries. I had the opportunity to do work in Israel after uh, one of the wars with Lebanon, where uh, Jewish and, and Muslim communities were impacted, uh, and to do work bringing uh, Jewish and Muslim Israelis and Christians together mm-hmm. and teaching them the same skills that we teach to couples. Interesting. And seeing the impact, it was unbelievable to watch. Community relationships. That when people 
whether, you know, it begins at home. Yeah. But it extends to our community, to our country, to our world. When we as human beings can create an environment where it's safe for other people to be vulnerable, whether that's beginning with our spouse and children, yeah, but extending to our neighbors and even people that, you know, might have very different values than we do to share their truth, you know, what's mm-hmm. their experience, mm-hmm. how do they see things. Empathy. And to respond with empathy, bullseye. Yeah. All kinds of different possibilities become available to us. But it begins with how do you create an environment where people can be vulnerable with each other? And how do you train people to, instead of responding with, let me tell you what I think, or let me fix it, or let me judge it, but just to respond with empathy for that other person's experience, everything becomes possible from that. Interesting. Yeah. In a little little bit of stepping into somebody's shoes goes a long way. Um, you know, in my experience, being sometimes in people's houses uninvited in other countries, um, <clears throat> you know, you're there to do a job and you're supposed to look big and mean and, and move violently, but you see the families who are affected and it's like, you know, you take pity on them a bit. You understand why you're in that situation, why they're in that situation, but you also understand like, or I hope everybody understands everybody who's been in an, a house uninvited, like I had been, um, that these are just human beings on the other end. And by the way, even the enemy is a human being. <clears throat> so, we can close with the enemy and we could destroy the enemy, but we, it, I think it, it's important to sometimes take that bit of training and that bit of conditioning outside of it and realize, yes, there's another human being at the end of this barrel. Uh, and, and often you see that with when people capitulate or become prisoners of war in some sense, they, they're either treated well or they're treated horribly. Right. And, um, I don't, I, I don't know if that's just, it's definitely what was never trained. It's not something they said, Hey, when you find POWs or something, treat them with the utmost respect, it's, it's like, be cautious. I know you've, you've had some conversations about moral injury. <laughs> yeah. About guilt, about shame. Yeah. Um, again, nobody can change what's already happened. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world where it's a dangerous world. Yeah. There's real evil out there. Yeah. And our military and veteran community understands that in ways that most of their neighbors do not. Mm-hmm. And there's a different mission when somebody transitions out. Yeah. Um, well, people and, carry that moral injury, though, or even that shame, like you said. And, and quite frankly, there are things that people in the military or who are veterans just cannot talk about right. with their spouses. Right. Or sometimes with their friends or in, or therapist or you know there's things that people have have done maybe where you know for one reason or another it's not something that they want to they want to uh 
confess, I think I, I was speaking to Bessel, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk about this very issue and, and, and asked like, do you, is, do you lay it on the table or do you carry it with you? And surprisingly, he was like, it does no good sometimes to, you know, implicate yourself in, 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 in something that maybe it's a very touchy subject, right? To, you can release the energy of yeah. feelings without the details. Yeah. How do you do that? Explain. Well, you know, there's some very specific exercises that people can learn mm -hmm. for releasing emotional energy. For some people, it could be, like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're aware <laughs> yeah. of what's connected, what yeah. that's connected to, but your ability to do what you just did and imagine that growing exponentially aware of the feelings that are inside that are connected to that sound that you made. Yeah. Imagine then being held by a loved one afterwards. Mm -hmm. Imagine the healing that could come that after that expression and that release for you, that your wife holds you and that you can be aware of the miracle of the user. Transference. Is that Trans what you're talking about? Like, yeah, give, no give I'm talking about healing. Okay, so so the screaming here. bit is 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 me releasing it out you to the wild it. instead of burdening somebody else with it. You t the key is that you don't hold it inside. Got it. Yeah, and that you give the people who are your closest to a chance to be healing. Hmm. You don't have to share details to release the energy. There are lots of different techniques for releasing that energy. Um, for the most complex, there's a lot of professional help available through the VA and through other uh, other organizations, but the VA certainly has enormous experience with this to help people release that energy so it doesn't live inside them. Mm. But the, the question is then, how do you give your spouse the opportunity to be healing to you? How do you take the new possibilities that are there because you're not carrying that around? and make that into the best chance to have whatever your dreams are come true. Um, but moral injury is something that we've learned a lot about as a society. I don't think those words were even spoken together yeah. for prior generations of warriors. Explain moral injury for those listeners who might not be familiar. You know, I think different, it's, it's still relatively new in your podcast, you talked about it, that we're, you know, it can be for one person that we're flooded with feelings of guilt or shame because of actions that we've taken. When you talked a moment ago about being an uninvited guest, if that violated your basic ideas of morality and you're carrying that around with you, mm -hmm. the feelings of that moment and that event that can very much lead to moral injury that mm -hmm. could affect you for the rest of your life if you keep those feelings inside. You know, ultimately, when I talk about that triad of communication, emotional understanding, conflict resolution, it's about not keeping that inside, whatever that is. You know, if that's related to moral injury, if it's related to guilt, if it's related to shame, if it's related to trauma, however that showed up for you in your life, how do you create a life where that doesn't have to live inside you, where you don't have to hand the bill for that? To Chris Rock. <laughs> to Chris Rock, to your wife. Chris Rock's going to be a metaphor for... <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. It, actually, it's Will. Chris yeah. just took it. Yeah. Imagine had he not. 
Imagine, oh, yeah. Imagine if he had decided to swing back. I'm a little bit uh, surprised that they didn't usher Mr. Smith off the, out, of, out of the building. But, yeah, I mean, it was the, the idea really that awkward. we live in a society where a live broadcast can show somebody assault somebody else. It's wild. And then be presented with the highest award of the industry. Yeah. Moments later. Moments later. And then they, you know, that what we hear is that, well, they didn't have a chance to get together. Yeah. To figure out what to do. What to do. Or that Chris decided not to prosecute. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people will see that and decide it's okay to hit other people. I, I agree. Actually, I, I wonder that is like, what message does that send? It's not a good uh, one. Not, no, not. I mean, on one hand, you have the argument that people are making that uh, he stood up for his woman. And then on the other hand, it's he still assaulted somebody. And then I heard somebody else say, uh, I don't know if you know who Marcellus Wiley is. If you follow football, he was on the Chargers now. He's like a talking head somewhere. But he, he, he talks a bit and he's a pretty smart guy. But he said um, he wouldn't have had to take up for his wife if he had taken care of his wife. I was like, wow, that seems pretty deep because they have some some other stuff going on. I don't want to I don't want to go too far down. But actually what you're saying, it's very easy to get distracted by other people's lives. Yes. When we're teaching about communication. Yeah. One of the first things we learn is what does it mean to level with the people we're closest to? Mm -hmm. And what are the ways that we keep from leveling? And one of those ways is by finding everything in the world besides our own relationship. Yeah. And we focus on that. Yeah, that's interesting. So Will Smith gives us a great, and Chris Rock. Yeah. It's a right. great it's a opportunity. To be like, that's him. Not whether me. it's them or whether it's, you know, the Clintons from years before. Yeah. You name, or whether it's the neighbor down the street. Yeah. Those are all ways of not having to look at ourselves. Yeah. And not having to deal with what's right in front of us. Mm. Because we can talk about them. And yeah, they all have their challenges. Yeah. And they all have their lessons to learn. So, obviously, you know, there's this video, this particular podcast, this episode is sponsored by, by Rugiet, um, one of our proud partners. And their focus really is on the physical intimacy aspect. And, and you know, you had mentioned before that sometimes people go down the road of having to take pills and stuff for, you know, and I think we're talking about things like Xanax and, and, uh, I don't know, all those other ones that I don't know that it words to, um, but there is a chemical aspect of it too. Right. And I think that, that companies like, like this, uh, do serve a purpose for sure in so much that physical intimacy is part of a relationship, um, that is very important. Absolutely. Right. One of the most interesting things we learned um, uh, years ago, we got to spend five years doing research on the impact of this brief skills training approach right. and how that showed up six months later, a year later, two years later, et cetera. And even though in this brief adaptation in these nine to 12 hours, we don't deal with sexuality, mm -hmm. that what we found is that when you open the lines of communication, when you help people learn to solve problems and differences in ways to bring them together, when you deepen emotional understanding, their sexual satisfaction was going up dramatically. 
and including their ability to reach out for help. Right. You know, there are many situations for lots of different reasons that people will reach out to your sponsor or others that have various products. But when you can build that on a foundation of a healthy relationship with two people who have the skills that we talked about, right? Uh, that's a very different experience than trying to solve it medically mm-hmm. without first building the foundation to give yourself the, the best chance of success. Yeah, I think you're right. So intimacy is, in, in this context, intimacy is not just the emotional and the connection, but um, again, like I said, chemically, sometimes sometimes things need a little jump start, right? Absolutely. And, and, um, and I think that we're at a place I mean, imagine this. After Vietnam, after World War II, Korea, people had these issues, but they didn't have um, a product out there, for instance, that helped jumpstart the car, so to speak, right? Um, I assume that because we have this ability now that... um, that this this could be a, a good part of the therapy for and I'm and I'm not advocating that oh this is this is you know a formula that we use like okay we're gonna like get you treated emotionally we're going to make sure you're connecting and then we're gonna say hey do you need these but if you do need them they're here right because there had to been a, several generations of people who dealt with these issues and then had to deal with the shame of not being able to perform. Physically, it were a connected world. Yeah, I mean, not that long ago, you'd have to go to a library or a research institute mm. to even have any idea. Today, you can go online, publicly or privately. Yeah, and the, a lot of people might have thought that, "What's wrong with me? Am I the only one who's dealing with this?" And that is one of the most common things that people go through: is yeah. thinking that whatever's happening to them mm-hmm. is because they're somehow broken, defective, or inadequate. Right. And then they recognize that other people who went through similar experiences had similar, you know, symptoms and, and yeah. things happened to them. But when you can build on a relationship between two people who are close and connected, yep. that's very meaningful. I mean, they, as a species, we have certain biologically based needs that we know about. Yeah. We know we need to eat. We know we need air. We know we need liquid. We need bonding. We need that from birth until the end of life. And when for whatever reason, our need for bonding, which is about emotional closeness and physical closeness, that bonding is the unique combination of those two aspects. Emotional openness is actually a better way to say it with physical closeness. Mm -hmm. When you have that, you can experience deep intimacy. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of treatments available that can help people who, for whatever reason, have challenges. But the work that we do really focuses on the emotional part. How do you create an environment with that emotional connection so that you can build on that so that you're not hugging a tree? You know, so that you really are able to fully embrace and connect with another human being. Yeah, for sure. Um, when when you deal with switching from from that a little bit, but in in your current work, do you also do family therapy together, like kids, wife? 
Yeah, mother-in-laws we're, even. We're not therapists. Right. You know, many yeah. therapists integrate the skills yes. that they learn in our training mm-hmm. into therapy. And many of those who go through our training use those same skills to strengthen their connection with their children and other people in their lives. Once someone knows how to open the lines of communication, right. once they're able to listen with empathy, and create an environment where other people are more likely to be vulnerable. That becomes available for all their relationships. Once someone knows how to deal with differences in ways where it's you and me against the problem Mm -hmm. instead of you and me against each other, Mm -hmm. they can bring that to all their relationships. Once someone starts to understand how emotions work, the basics, you don't have to be a PhD in emotional understanding, but the basics of how emotions work in ourselves and others, we bring that to all of our relationships. Yeah. And that makes a difference in all of our relationships. Yeah. What do you think are the, if you had to pick three things that every veteran needs to be doing right now, regardless of whether they're currently experiencing issues with their relationships? Learn skills for the mission that matters to you. Okay. Learn skills for the mission mission that matters matters to to you. you. So whatever that mission is, mm-hmm. if it's being a great mom or dad, learn the skills. Doing that by trial and error comes with huge consequences. We often have other people, people we would give our lives for, pay the price. So the things that really matter, just doing it by trial and error and doing our best, it sort of goes to that one of my favorite Mother Teresa quotes, Prayer without action is no prayer at all. Mm. So once somebody's aware of what the mission is that really speaks to them, whether it's being a great mom or dad or being building an amazing family or creating a team that's going to bring something right. new to life, learn the skills that will give you the best chance of succeeding in whatever that dream is. Um, and if you already have those skills, wonderful. If you have some of them, wonderful. If there are skills you've learned that don't fit, you can be really grateful that those skills helped you survive, that they made it possible for you to be here for a new dream and, you know, a new challenge. But don't bring the wrong skills to, you know, to a different Mm -hmm. mission. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first thing. Second of all, recognize what I say, you know, there's not a moment I don't think about veteran suicide. Mm-hmm. Not a moment. Every time our phone rings, every time someone texts or emails, I have to assume that that person is contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that we continue to live in a society where people are keeping intense emotions inside has to change. Mm-hmm. We pay too high a price. So whether somebody learns the skills that we teach or they go to a local VA for help, holding intense emotions inside comes at too high a price. Ultimately, we will either implode or explode. Imploding is sadness, depression, and suicide. Exploding is hurting the people that we would often give our lives to protect. So that's not an option to keep all of that inside. So I would second from, you know, have the skills for the mission at hand, not for a prior mission, but for the mission you're embracing now. 
At the same time, don't hold that intensity inside. It will either kill you or threaten somebody you love. Mm. And that's just too high a price. Yeah. And third of all, embrace community. You know, whether that community is your family, your neighborhood, your buddies, whatever it is, we are meant to connect. It's wired into our DNA. It shows up in different ways. And some of us are introverts and some are extroverts and all of that. But we are meant to connect, whether it's with one person or 10 people, we're meant to connect. So find a community that's inspired and lit up by the same values and dreams that speak to you and connect with those people, learn from each other, support each other. Yeah, those are all, um, I think, things that people can easily implement, which is good. We, we, you know, we have this acronym in the military, keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> right? Um, what's next for, for you and, and, and for the work that you're doing? So we're looking at how we can do a better job with veterans who are reentering from incarceration. Interesting. That, that one of our major concern is that too often veterans who have been incarcerated, often because of the same types of challenges we talked about. They leaked. They leak, they implode, they explode. And there are many thousands. We have, you know, probably seven, 8,000 veterans in jail, in prison in Florida today. Mm. And we want to do a better job making sure that day one, when they come out of prison, is the beginning of a very different life and a very different chapter. And we're spending some time looking at how can we as a society and a community do a better job of helping veterans who have gotten, for whatever reason, caught up in the criminal justice system have the best chance of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from their first day out. Um, so that's a big part of what we're focused on today and continuing to improve the work we're doing, not just ending veteran homelessness, but preventing it to begin with. Yeah. Not just reducing veteran suicides, but interrupting the factors that contribute to it. So that instead of as a society that's always focusing on the symptoms, mm -hmm that we're actually getting underneath and addressing some of the causes mm. that we've known about for decades. Yeah. Uh, I assume a lot of the, the veterans you're speaking of have some chemical dependencies as well, um, illegal, illicit drugs. When people are in pain, they choose from what's available. Yeah. Some people disappear into their careers. Other people disappear into the internet. Mm -hmm. Other people disappear into prescription drugs, mm -hmm. other legal or illegal. People choose from what's available. Yeah. What they all have in common is people don't want to be in pain. So as humans, we're programmed to find a way to feel better. And we live in a society where millions of people are self-medicating every yeah. day. Wow. Yes. Not because there's something fundamentally wrong with them, but because they're trying to feel better. So we need to do a better job of helping address that so that people don't have to suffer silently, so that they don't have to just survive, but they can actually embrace life and the dreams they have. So Seth, purpose-built families can be found at purpose-builtfamilies.com.
We have Warriors to Soulmates, W2SM.com. You guys have been fortunate enough to be funded uh, by the contributions from the Veterans Affairs. Yeah, um, we've been very fortunate to receive funding from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Very, very grateful, which enables us to help thousands of veterans. Uh, we're very grateful to the Department of Veterans Affairs for investing in the Warrior to Soulmate program mm-hmm. and doing their very best through chaplaincy and through social work to make that training available to veteran families across the country. Yeah. And any military family can reach out to us directly. And we will either provide resources or refer people to resources so that they can have access to these same skills. Right. And, and though you are funded by by the Department of Veteran Affairs, you are a 501C. And if there's uh, any big wigs out there with, with deep pockets, I'm sure this cause is something worthy of investment. We can help transform communities. We can help communities better address underlying factors Mm -hmm. so that we're not simply always responding to the symptoms. And lives are at stake if there are people watching or or inspired. Uh, We really would encourage them to reach out so we can talk about what we can do together. Do you take volunteers too? Absolutely. Uh, Have have events and things like that? Absolutely. We're in South Florida. We're standing up uh, an after hours program that is significantly manned by volunteers. Uh, If you're part of the veteran community in South Florida, Broward or Miami-Dade County, please reach out, give us a call, uh, go to our website, uh, purposebuiltfamilies.com and reach out. We'd love to have your help. Awesome. Well, Seth, I really appreciate you joining us on the Return to Base podcast. Thank you for the work that you have done and you continue to do. It's, it's important stuff out there. People are hurting all over the country, obviously, and we have veterans who are returning from combat or had been in combat and who are transitioning from the military into the civilian world. I did it recently. It wasn't an easy task. I was lucky enough to, uh, to come out on the other end of it okay. Some people aren't as lucky. Um, and for those who, who feel like they need help or you don't even have to be desperate. You don't have to be at the end of your rope. You can just initiate the conversation because it's an important thing to do. Um, I recommend that you go to purposebuiltfamilies.com or w2sm.com. What, let, let's, let's talk about the distinction real quick. If, if I wanted, if I went to purposebuiltfamilies.com, it would be more specifically for versus w2sm. So our main focus on direct services mm-hmm. is the homeless and at risk of homeless community and of veterans in South Florida. The pair skills training is primarily through VA professionals across the country. So when someone goes to purpose built families, they can figure out which direction Got they want to okay. go to and what assistance is there, or, or maybe it's both they'd like to access. When someone goes to W2SM, it's specifically focused on the VA Warrior to Soulmate program uh, that we created and that we're happy to support uh, every day. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate it. And thank you for coming out to the beautiful city My of pleasure. Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you, Nashville. Thank you. Okay.